Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. Okay, uh, so today we are finishing our message series that we have been uh, going through throughout the month uh, of January uh, called In God We Trust. Um, In God We Trust. I've really found this to be uh, a really impactful series, even for myself teaching it. Um, Because I think, you know, living in the world that we live in now, you know, a world that is becoming increasingly hostile to Christianity, a a nation that is divided. Um, We're going to talk a little bit today about a nation that is increasingly post-Christian and what that means. Um, This series, I think, has been really good because to me, it's a resetting of the foundation that God can be trusted, of where our influence should come from, and that we have to be very careful to not be influenced inadvertently um, or allow ourselves to slide into our culture and allow it to shape us instead of the citizens or citizenship of heaven. Um, and this week, we're going to be talking about um, a little bit of a harder topic, but we're going to finish up. I think it's really important is when Christians get it wrong, when Christians get it wrong. But before we do, I want to read from God's word in John chapter one. <laughs> if you guys would open your Bibles. Uh, or your smartphones to the Bible app or your tablets. John chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 5 and verse 14. This is a familiar passage we just read a couple of weeks ago in, uh, I think, December. Uh, But I want to read it, and then we're going to talk a little bit about today what it means when Christians get it wrong. Verse 1 of John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Praise God for that. Verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came to earth, the light of the world. The word of God came, dwelled among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. So often as Christians, We are one or the other, or that we are not much at all. Grace and truth. Jesus came to earth from the Father, the light of the world, the light that the darkness did not overcome. All things were created through him and by his power and his authority, and all things bow to him. He is with us. He is Emmanuel. He came and he dwelled with us, and he has given us abundance of grace and truth in our lives. And yet, as his people, If we look around our world, if we look back over our own lives, we have not always been people of grace and truth. The title of today's message is When Christians Get It Wrong. Would you pray with me this morning 
just for a moment. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you how it enlightens our heart. I thank you for your spirit that lives within us. We welcome you, as we just said. We put you in your rightful place, like in the Lord's Prayer. We say that you are holy, you are powerful, you are masterful. Your spirit lives within us, and we ask that you would take your place at the center stage in our hearts and in our minds this morning particularly, that we would hear your word speaking truth to us. You would challenge us, convict us, and encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, for years, our country was known as a Christian nation. I think this is pretty pretty common knowledge. Um, our nation, we like to say that it was founded upon, upon Christian ideals, Christian or, um, concepts. Um, and for a long time, the church was at the center of you know society. The church was the place that people would go to in towns. It was the meeting hall. It was where people would go to do you know any kind of decisions that were made. And um, you know, so for years, our country was known as a Christian nation. It doesn't take much to look at the dollar bill in God we trust. Um, you could look at our pledge of allegiance under God, one nation under God. Right, the concepts of that. But now there is a, a growing number of Americans who would identify, or they wouldn't even know it to be called that, but there is a concept called being post-Christian. Uh, post-Christian is that they have been raised in a world that Christian ideals infiltrate every aspect of our society. Our laws are founded on the principles of Christianity, right? Redemption, um, you know, justice, right? Um, concept of love and mercy, uh, grace. These are things that we love. We value truth in our justice system. Now, there are cracks, of course, but this is the concept of our nation founded upon these things. And people have no interest in being Christians at all. So it's not that they're antagonistic to Christianity, right? So a post-Christian society is not necessarily atheistic. It's not even necessarily agnostic. Post-Christianity is that they just simply reject it. It's not that they don't know about Jesus. It's that they just don't care about Jesus. There is, there is no caring about him. There is no, um, it doesn't matter they don't even recognize that most of the foundations of our country come from a place of, uh, of from a Christian nation. Uh, did you know that in the Northeast region of, uh, of the United States, uh, in like Vermont or in Albany, New York, or in places like Seattle, that they are, uh, there is a, a poll that has been done that they are some of the most um, post-Christian cities in America. The Northeast region in general of the United States is considered the furthest most unchurched, most post-Christian, um, you know, area in the entire country. Uh, people are, uh, you know, planting churches left and right, and there are hundreds of people coming to churches just by opening your doors, um, you know, in the Northeast region of the United States or in places like the Pacific Northwest, particularly, um, it is much different. You can see that in our church here, right? Like we are a small church of people who are passionate about Jesus but many of our friends know we're Christians and have absolutely no interest of any kind of being, of having anything to do with it. And it's not because they're antagonistic to it necessarily, some might be, but it's because we live in a post-Christian society. Faith has moved, faith in Christ has moved from the center of life in our community to the fringes. And it's actually shifted from being something positive in our society to being a threat by some. The word Christian itself is a loaded word, um, to much so much point so much so that sometimes um, us as Christians sometimes don't even want to call ourselves Christian. Sometimes we'd rather use words like followers of Jesus or 
other phrases because the word Christian itself can be a loaded word in our society. And then even further than that, many of us come from what we would consider to be an evangelical background, like a, a certain sect within uh, Christianity. And that word is becoming synonymous now, unfortunately, with hate and racism and bigotry and things of that nature. The word Christian, what it means to follow Jesus from the world's perspective in an increasingly hostile post-Christian society is becoming more and more difficult. And we have ourselves to blame in many respects. So the question that I want to ask today is, how do we faithfully represent Jesus in a post-Christian culture? How do we as Christians faithfully represent Jesus in a post-Christian culture. We just came out of an incredibly politically divided season in our country. Our country is still divided. Now it doesn't seem like it's much different. We have a new president and the other side who lost seems like they're doing all the same things to President Biden as those who are on the other side did to President Trump in the way that they treated him and analyzed and scrutinized every aspect of his first few days in office. And this divided world needs a united church. And right now, our church is not united. I believe God's doing something in our in the church in America and around the world. And this message is not so much about the church at large and more about us as individuals and how we treat people and how we represent Jesus. And no matter who holds office, no matter what is going on in our world and in our lives, our mission as Christians has never changed is that we are called to be follower as followers of Jesus to live and to love with grace and truth. Let's look at John 1:14 again and see how Jesus came. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. He came full of grace and truth, full of it, full of grace and truth. Do you know somebody who is full of something? <laughs> like I know people who are full of a lot of things, not so much grace or truth. <laughs> um, but Jesus, it says, was full of grace and truth. That word there, the Greek word for full, right, is the Greek word pleres. You guys say that? Pleres. Pleres. It means filled to the brim. Filled to the brim, uh, abounding in or thoroughly full. Have you ever seen a glass of, uh, of water uh, or a glass that is full? Like, you know, where it gets that little bubble on the top, like where it just kind of, there's even a word for that. I'm not quite sure, but it might be buoyancy or something like that. But it fills all the way up. All right, science lady saying that's not the right word. But uh, like when it gets so full that if you just jiggle it, It'll, what does it do? It spills over, right? Just, just shaking it a little bit. If you've ever filled up your coffee cup too much and you're trying to walk back to the couch or your desk and you're just like holding it, like, you know, like you're trying to spill any of the little jars uh, will just, you know, cause it to do that. Jesus was so play race. He was so full of grace and mercy. He was filled to the brim. He was over abundantly and abounding in grace and truth. And why does that matter? Why does it matter that Jesus was full of grace and truth? The reason is, is because grace saves and truth frees. They work hand in hand. Grace saves. I want you to write that down or mark it somehow. Full of grace and truth. Grace saves and truth frees 
freeze. And if we're really honest, we as Christians have not really gotten this right. I know that I haven't. I know a lot of people don't like Christians. And the reason for that oftentimes is because they have either been one or the other. They've either been high truth or high grace, but not the other. There's, there's a, something that happens, problems that are created when we aren't both at the same time. Jesus came full of both grace and truth because grace saves and truth frees. What does it look like to be just a Christian who's full of truth? These are the mean Christians. Those are the ones who are out there at picket fence, picket lines with, with signs that say God hates fags. They're the ones who, who are judging everybody and saying, you know, if you're, you're smoking cigarettes and you've got tattoos, you must be unholy and you're going to hell. Like these are the people who are, you know, the Bible says it all. You're a sinner. You're going to hell if you don't make yourself right. And that may be true but there's no grace. And so it forces people away. And on the other end of the spectrum, it's all grace and no truth. There's, there's the, it's okay. I'm okay. We're all sinners, man. It doesn't matter. Like, who am I to judge you? Who are you to judge me? Like, what is truth anyway? Right? Like, this is the world that we, that we live in. And unfortunately, we have been, as Christians, have, have fallen to one side or the other. We've been extremely legalistic, judgmental Christians, or we have been a, a group of Christians who have been unwilling to call out things that need to be spoken, and we've lost our influence in our culture and in our relationships with our friends and those who aren't Christians. We have become people who are not full of grace and truth. If anything, we have become people of grace or truth. And the two problems arise when we aren't living out both. The first problem is that truth without grace leads to rebellion. Truth without grace leads to rebellion. This is where Christians oftentimes get it wrong. Really, if you've ever grown up in a really strict religious home, that's all truth without grace, I can guarantee you that it will raise rebellious children. I did. My parents, I wouldn't even say they were like overly strict people, but there were heavy rules in our home that didn't have much grace when it came to um, the understanding of, of, of the world that we live in and the, the, the things that, that we were curious about and having those conversations. It was all or nothing when it came to like the, the, the rules in our home. And I grew up rebelling against it, pushing against it because it felt like it had nothing to do with, with rules. There was no life in it. It was just truths jammed down my throat. There was no grace. The problem though, for the other side is that grace without truth leads to relativism. And you can see that in our world very much so. Grace without truth leads to relativism. There's no such thing as truth. I have my truth. You have your truth. You think of things like no one, including God, can tell me how to live my life because that's what grace, grace without truth leads to. As long as you're happy, all that's all that matters. As long as you're not hurting anybody, that's all that matters, right? It doesn't matter what you do. Does that sound familiar? This is the world that we live in. What's actually become common today is this idea of for people who, who maybe are even remotely interested in Jesus, because Jesus's message is attractive, is this concept of just getting just enough Jesus 
to feel better, but not enough to make you any different. Small doses of it. It's like the little Instagram clip, you know, uh, 45 seconds of a, of a pastor who preached a message of 35 minutes and taking a little 45 second clip and sharing it on your Facebook feed, man, that really made me feel better or it challenged me. And then you go about your life, right? It's the verse a day that you get in your, the Bible app, you know, a verse a day keeps the devil away concept, right? It's just enough. Or I go to church like once a week or once a month, just, you know, that's just enough to make me feel good. I checked that box off my, off my list. It's just enough Jesus to make you feel good, but not enough to make you different. But we are called as followers of Jesus to live and love with grace and truth, with grace and truth. Grace saves, truth frees. What is grace? What is grace? It comes from the Greek word charis. Charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, charis, which means the undeserved kindness and undeserved favor and the undeserved goodwill of God. It's a, it's a kindness, right? It's this, it's this undeservedness. Like I can't earn it. You can't earn it. You've done nothing to deserve it. It's given to you. It's this beautiful thing that was given. And the moment that you think that you deserve it, it's not grace anymore. Grace saves Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Grace has been given to you. And this is not from yourselves. It's very clear, right? It says it's by grace you're saved through faith. And just so your case, you understand you didn't do a thing to earn it. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. By the way, it's not truth that saves, right? What does it say in the Bible? It says it's this kindness that leads us to, to repentance. It's Jesus's, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Grace saves. It is by grace that we have been saved. And so we look in John chapter one, verse 14, right? Where it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and he came full of grace and truth. Now I can't prove this, but it led with the word grace. It led with it. And I've seen it all throughout scripture. It's very clear. You look at how Jesus lived his life. When he came across sinners, he did speak the truth to them. He convicted them of their sin. He called them to something greater, but almost every case, he met them where they were. He gave them grace and undeserved kindness an undeserved gift and favor. He met them. He healed them. He touched them. He transformed them. And then he called them to something different. And we see it here that he was full of grace and truth. And while I can't prove doctrinally that grace has to come before truth, I see it all over the place. I want us to be people that lead with grace. I want us to be people that lead with grace. And I would say that looking at the room around us, I would not say that we are people that struggle with the concept of leading with grace. We are good at that. All of us are sinners. Many of us, I know our stories. We come from backgrounds that are rough and are messed up and that we have done pretty terrible things and that we feel guilt and shame over those and that we have to continually lay at the feet of Jesus. And I remember what it's like. And I look at you guys and I know that. And so grace, extending grace to other people. You know, the idea of like, hey, it's all right. Like, I, I get it. That's not necessarily the hard part, but truth has to accompany it. We have to lead with grace and then bring truth. I want to I wanna show you the importance of why grace is so valuable before we move on to the concept of truth. I want you to imagine a few people. I'm going to imagine a few chairs, like a row at a church, right? Some, some chairs with individuals in them. In the first row, in the first chair, we have like a mother, maybe a, a wife or a mom. And she's 
you know, takes care of her kids. She's a good mom, but she's overwhelmed with jealousy of another mom in her group. And she's the kind of mom that she struggles with comparing herself on a constant basis to that other mom. It seems like she's always got it all together. And she struggles with jealousy. And so because of that, she kind of gossips about that person. Do you see what that person was wearing today? Do you see what car she got? She just bought that new car. Like that person. Let me ask you, does that lady, lady need grace? Does she need grace? Next to her is a, her husband, who is a businessman. He's very successful in his business. He's really good at what he does, but he's also known for kind of being ruthless in business because for him, it's about money. For him, it's, there's a selfishness that comes in. He doesn't spend a lot of time at home because he's out trying to buy the cars. He's out trying to make the money. He's, he's a shrewd businessman, but his life is ruled instead by greed. Does he need grace? And then next to them is an older lady who maybe leads a, a small group and she spends a lot of time uh, you know, with people in her life and she's kind and she's nice and she's a, a generous person, but something happened in her past and she can't forgive her mother. He re she refuses to forgive her mother for what she did to her when she was younger or something that had happened previous in her life. Her mother was overbearing and, and it's just caused a rift between them. And no matter what she does, she just holds on to this bitterness and this anger in her life and she cannot bring herself to forgive her mother. Does she need grace? And I think about next in line is a college student, you know, just kind of in college, going to all the parties. Whenever there's beer, he's drinking it. You know, he's sleeping late, maybe skipping his classes. He's whenever there's girls around, he's like, you know, he's chasing after them. He's got all kinds of relationships with different people. You know, he's not really thinking much about life. He's just partying, constantly sleeping around. Could be a guy, it could be a girl, doesn't really matter. The, it's kind of the same concept. Does he need grace? And then on the end, we've got the individual who kind of seems like he's got it all together on the outside, this very religious, hyper-spiritual individual. He does all the things. He doesn't struggle with jealousy or greed. You know, he doesn't have unforgiveness in his life. He doesn't have any of these problems. He goes to church all the time. He reads his Bible on a regular basis. He seems to have it all together but he looks down the row at the rest of them and he kind of snubs his nose at those individuals thinking that he has it all together, contempt and judgment in his own life. Does he need grace? Which one of these people on that line need grace? Look at yourself. If you were sitting in that chair, do you need grace? I need grace. Every one of us needs grace. And sometimes in our society and in our church, we inadvertently get it wrong. We look at people and we judge them based off of what they're going through in their life. We want them to have their act together. We want them to get things right before we are willing to accept them. And I thank God that that's not really a big problem in our particular church, but I've seen that in a lot of places. And then on the other side, we have truth, right? The concept of you have to behave first. You ever been to a church like that? I grew up in a church kind of like that. That if somebody uh, wasn't, um, you know, didn't fit into the mold, um, you know, somebody who kind of didn't look the way or didn't act the way, came from a non-traditional sort of background who wasn't really a Christian, that person would feel real out of place. Um, you know, 
a lot of churches come from a place where you have to behave first. Don't smoke. You got to dress the right way and you got to endure the boringness of, of a service. And this is not to me like insulting my dad's church, but it wasn't considered to be, you know, they're not the most uh, upbeat and exciting places compared to the world standards in any way. Right. Um, and the concept of these kinds of places is that after you behave, then you can learn to believe what we believe. And then if you behave and you believe, then you could possibly belong at that point, right? This is kind of the way that many churches have been built. And long as you behave and you believe the right things, then you can, uh, then you can belong in our place. And then there's grace for you. The problem is, is that that's not how God orchestrated things. And we as a church in Christianity in America have become a people to where we have failed at either giving people grace up front and creating a safe place for people to belong long before they believe or they behave, or we have created a space in which we've given so much grace to people that there's never any life change because we're never calling anyone out of their own sin and out of their bad habits. I want our church, which it is, I believe, to be a safe place for people to belong long before they believe or behave. But does grace cover everything? Like we live in a world where we are, where we are, it's hard for us to want to talk to people. It's hard for us to feel like we can talk about people about things that aren't going, that aren't right in their life. And so it's easier for us to kind of just let people go. And some people feel like, again, this idea of like, well, if grace is so good, then what's the point of giving anybody truth? And the apostle Paul talked about this in Romans chapter six, when he said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, truth, like, shall we go on sinning? So I just keep saying so that there's grace more. And he goes, by no means, no way. That's ridiculous. We are those who have died to sin how can we live in it any longer? And this is what Paul was saying, is that we have to be people of both grace and truth. The problem is, is that we live in a world that if anyone know, claims to know truth, that they're considered arrogant or that's dangerous at best, right? And have you ever kind of a company or uh, uh, encountered people like that to where if you talk about the concept of a truth, that people begin to think that truth itself, that if you claim to know it or to be the possessor of truth, that you're an arrogant individual or that it's a dangerous concept. And they begin to think that our world has begun to think that truth is restrictive, that it's repressive, that it's oppressive, that you can't put your truth on me. But the reality is, is that truth is actually freeing. Truth is liberating. Truth is life-giving. If you look all the way back to the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis, God created this garden and told Adam and Eve that they could eat from anything that they wanted, any tree, any plant. They said, go, be fruitful and multiply. He gave them this wonderful command. Would you imagine how, how, how wonderful that would be to say, don't worry about a single thing. All you got to do is go out and be fruitful and multiply. Go out and have lots of babies, have a lot of fun and just have a blast. That's what I want you to do. Be in a constant resort right? Like, that's what I want your life to be. But there's one thing I don't you want to do. I don't want you to go over there. That's not oppressive. That's not restrictive. That's freeing. That's freeing. His idea was not to kill their fun. He wasn't trying to ruin everything. He was trying to give them life and to give them boundaries so that they could live within and not have to worry about something. Because the moment that they ate that fruit, their eyes were open to something that wasn't made for them. 
Truth is not just about morals. It's not just about rules. The Bible calls truth a person. It's not just a what, it is a who. Jesus is the embodiment of what it means to be truth. The way that he lived his life, the principles at which he lived, the way that he died on a cross and rose from the grave. When it says in John 1 that he was the beginning of all things, the truth of the universe is found within him. Physics is found within him. Gravity is found within him. Like all of the concepts of the universe are found within Jesus. When we get to know him, we discover truth. If we live by and align our lives according to his principles, we find freedom. And it actually says that in John 8, 32, that you will know the truth and the truth does what? It sets you free. It sets you free. Grace saves, but truth frees. Back to these ladies and this guy and the people who are on the on those chairs, right? The mom who is overcome with envy. We need to be able to speak to that person in our life and be able to say to them, like, I love you. You are welcome here. You're my friend, whether it's a church or whether it's in our personal life. But be willing to speak in. Envy rots the bones. You cannot become a person of that and speak life into that, whether it's a Christian, particularly if it's like sharing the truth of God's word in those spaces. Consider others better than yourself. To, to love others as you have been loved, speaking truth into their lives. If you have a friend who's overcome with greed, like understand you're welcome in my life. I'm not going to shy away. I'm not going to push you away, but it is way more better to be, to way more blessed to give than it is to receive. Like being a generous person is freeing. Don't be held in bondage by your, by your, by, by money. Is that the love of money is the root of all evil, Jesus said. The love of money, it destroys things. The lady who, who, was, who couldn't forgive her own mother, you know, like telling her, you got to get rid of that. You have to let go of that. You have to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And it even goes on to say, like I said, in, the, in, in, in scripture, right, where we talked about the Lord's Prayer and those other spaces where it talks about that if you don't offer forgiveness, how can God forgive you? Like there's truth there. We have to call people out of it. The religious person, the concept of pride becomes before the fall, that you can't exalt yourself. If you want to be exalted, you have to humble yourself. Like we have to be willing to look at each other in the eye and through relationship and offer grace, but then speak truth into those spaces. And we have become Christians in our society that have been really good about either giving truth with no grace or all grace and no truth. Now you might ask, where's that guy? who was kind of like sleeping around and partying and well, that's me. Like, that's me. That's my chair. You know, what chair would you be sitting in? Maybe a different chair. And the only reason that I actually found Jesus and I am where I am today is because I was given both grace and truth. I was given grace by individuals who God sent my way to tell me that I was still loved, even though I was a mess even though I was a wreck, that God still loved me, that he had not forgotten me, that he would not abandon me. And his kindness led me to repentance. And once I found the truth of the gospel and the goodness of Jesus and his unconditional love for me, I was willing to begin to hear about who he was and the truth of what his life, what life is meant to be. As people began to speak into my life about my lifestyle and the things that I was doing in God's word, it began to set me free. Grace saves, truth frees. We have to become people who are full, play race, abounding and brimming over so much so that if we get bumped into, grace pours out of us. 
truths will pour out of us. Jesus is the word made flesh, full of grace and truth. His truth is chain-breaking. It's sin-shattering. It's intimacy-building. It's life-giving truth. And his grace is so undeserved that it's scandalous. It's a scandal that he would forgive those who deserve death. So undeserved. He comforts sinners. He loves outcasts. He touched the lepers. He befriended prostitutes. And he gave grace so lavish, even upon the cross. Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. Overwhelming the brim with grace. And so the society that we live in, this post-Christian society, they're not rejecting Jesus. What they're rejecting is a watered-down, distorted view of him. They're rejecting the legalistic Jesus. They're rejecting the grace only Jesus. They're rejecting Christians who uh, don't have a backbone and aren't willing to welcome the prostitute, aren't welcome to willing uh, to welcome the willing to welcome the addict or the one who doesn't have their life together, the life who's hard, the life who's messy, the ones who aren't willing to uh, to give them grace. But we're also the same ones who don't have the backbone to look at our friends who are living in sin and be willing to call them out for it. We're not willing to live in a world with other people and to withstand the sin and to spend time in intimacy with our God so that we have the strength to live in a dark place with them and speak life into them and to call them out of the darkness. We need to be people like followers of Jesus who are called to live and love life full of grace and mercy. Grace saves you. Truth sets you free. Let's be people in a world that is increasingly hostile to Christians. Let's be people who give grace so overwhelmingly, just give people grace. It doesn't matter who you meet. You meet a trans, a transvestite individual or a trans individual, a gay person, somebody who's had multiple abortions, somebody who's from a different country that you don't understand, somebody who is who has hurt you, someone who's attacked you, someone who's 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 who doesn't deserve forgiveness. Grace, let grace abound and overflow in your life for those people. And be willing to build relationships with those people and let the Spirit of God speak to you and impart truth into those places. Starting with each other and looking at each other. And I believe that the world will see that. If you are wondering, how can I be a good Christian? How can I faithfully represent Jesus to my friends who couldn't give a crap about my Christianity? Let's start with being people who are bold enough in our faith to give grace but also speak truth. Stand up for what you believe is right. Engage in conversations about it, not hiding backwards, but saying those things. I'm not saying you're being imposing, but be willing to speak truth and let God do the rest. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you sent Jesus and that his representation is full of grace and truth. God, help us to be people of grace and truth, full of it, of abounding of it, filled to the brim so that if we just get nudged, it just overflows. May this be challenging to us. May this be um, convicting to us. I pray that your spirit would, um, would just kind of remind us of this throughout our day and throughout our week. Help us to see friends, family members, people that we come across, see them with eyes of grace but also be looking for opportunities to speak truth that sets free. Truth that sets free. I pray that you would uh, bless this conversation we're about to have and 
Just challenge us to be people overall who trust in you, to live by your, by your way, who live under God. Under God, we trust. We look to you, God, for our life and for our, our, our lifestyle and our beliefs and our influence. God, we want you to influence us and help us to be influential now by your power living within us in the world around us. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.